You're listening to El Clásico, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Vuelta España from Barcelona to Madrid. Today we're in Barcelona. Ridiculous. We're not monkeys in the circus. You are indeed listening to El Clásico. My name is Daniel Freiber and I am the host of this episode and I am in Barcelona. As you heard Rob Hatch, our good friend Rob Hatch, say a moment ago. Joining me tonight is the, oh, a Lionel, who would have been given a Messiah's ovation had he returned to the Catalan capital today. Um, unfortunately, to use the joke, it was a really funny joke, reference that I have already employed in our race preview. It's not Lionel Messi, but back at base, it's Lionel Bernie. Lionel, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Daniel. I was going to wear my Barcelona shirt that I bought in Barcelona in about 1990 or 91, uh, but I couldn't find it. It's in a box somewhere. Um, But that was... uh, It might have been sort of Champions League, well, European Cup as it was then, European Cup winning Barcelona, because they had to wait a long time to win the European Cup, didn't they? Early 90s, whereas Real Madrid, you know, stacked up loads of victories early on. Uh, Barcelona, I think it was 92, they beat Sampdoria at Wembley. I mean, I don't know why I'm starting with this, all this football nonsense. Let's get on with the cycling because, I mean... Well, should we dispense, let's get, should we get all of the football references out of the way immediately, (laughs) immediately for the whole welter? Um, Because I was going to, at some point, if you're you're willing to dive in for just a second, at some point in this episode, I was going to mention the fact that we're staying... I'm staying, um, elected to stay not in Barcelona, but in a beautiful um, suburb to the north of Barcelona called Cabrils, which I I learned today is the eighth um, wealthiest town in Spain. Um, And it's a bit of a haunt for Barcelona players. And um, Gerard Piquet, so the long-time defender, um, central defender of Barcelona, um, have you been following this very public fallout um, or very public separation he, of course, used to be married to Shakira, a famous singer. And apparently, well, to, to the consternation of the Spanish public and the Catalan public, um, Gerard Piquet is now living with his much, much younger girlfriend in Cabrils, um, just around the corner from our hotel. Um, and th- there, was a, there was a, I don't know if you followed this line, or there was a diss track released by Shakira earlier in the summer. Um, I'm worth two 22-year-olds because Shakira is significantly older than 22. You swapped a Ferrari for a Twingo. You swapped a Rolex for a Casio. Um, of course, you're our, you're our Rolex to Lionel Messi's Casio. Um, <laughs> talking of timekeeping, talking of timekeeping, Lionel, um, team time trial started the Vuelta España. Um, should we go straight to the tale of the etapa? Why not? El resumen de la etapa. The tale of the etapa. I was going to say this. This is this is getting perilously close to my bedtime. We've got to be earlier than yes. this. I know the stage started late, finished late, um, but uh, yeah, we've got to record earlier than this. Otherwise, I, I, I'm, well, I'll be in my bed clothes. Never mind my Barcelona shirt. Uh, Lionel, it's just occurred to me, huge oversight already in the podcast. We didn't mention who we heard from immediately. The first words we heard um, on the Vuelta coverage this year, the story of the day, um, Remco Evenepoel, 
um, were declaring the riders in this Vuelta a España are not circus animals, not monkeys, and they should not be treated as such. Why did he say that? Well, we're about to find out in the tale of the etapa. Off you go. Well, I mean, I've been watching cycling and covering cycling a very long time. I'm struggling to remember as farcical a stage. Possibly the team time trial down in Marbella in what year was that? 2015 when uh, they went onto the beach and uh, the riders all complained and got the um, the times neutralised for the GC. I did wonder whether there might have been a case for that today because the rain started. Well, you'll be able to tell me better when we talk about this in a bit more depth. So the rain started just before the 14.8 kilometre team time trial in Barcelona got underway. And, well, the second team to set off, Team DSM Fermanic, they set the best time and they were not beaten. Although Movistar did push them very, very close, didn't they? Because Movistar actually had the quickest time at the intermediate check, but faded and lost out by 0.55 of a second. A really impressive ride by Movistar. EF Education Easy Post were third. Sudal Quickstep and Remco Evnepoel, um give that man, I don't know, some nuts or a banana uh, because they finished fourth. Uh, Jumbo Visma. Uh, the team, obviously, of Primus Roglic and Jonas Vingegaard, they were down in 11th. Uh, but, I mean, the story of the day is that the conditions made for a, a really uncomfortable spectacle, especially at the end when basically night fell. I don't know what it was like out there, Daniel, but watching here it on TV... It was like night. Yeah, it was like night. Um Fortunately, most of the riders got round okay. I mean, there were crashes. Arkea Samsic had a, a pretty spectacular spill on a corner. The worst crash really uh, was for Lawrence de Plus of Ineos Grenadiers. He crashed hard on, I think, the third or fourth corner. He was 10th in the Giro d'Italia, a really important support rider in the mountains for Geraint Thomas. He didn't finish, so out of the race already. Jaco Alula, people have probably seen this on social media. I mean, we saw in the TV coverage, Eddie Dunbar come to grief approaching the finish line, uh, but they all came down en masse. The important uh, business of the day is that DSM over the line first for them was Lorenzo Milesi, young Italian. He is in the red jersey and only, what, a week or so ago, he was crowned under 23 world time trial champion in Stirling in Scotland. So a uh, great day for DSM, not least because Sam Wellsford also won a stage at the Renewy Tour today. Lionel, just clear something up for me. It occurred to me when I it occurred to me when I saw Remco Evenepoel come over the finish line. Of course, the World Time Trial Champions jersey is not worn in Team Time Trials. Has that always been the case? That has always been the case. Yeah, I can remember at the Tour de France in Brussels making a bit of a fool of myself, um, suggesting to Alex Dowsett that he would be wearing the National Champions time trial jersey in the team time trial in the tour and he said well I, I can't wear it that's not the regulation so no um he couldn't wear the rainbow jersey but i mean i don't think that was the cause of his tantrum at the finish was it i mean you say it was dark out there we saw on tv the overhead shots particularly you could almost only see the light reflecting off the puddles and the, the reflective bit on the riders back numbers uh, it was basically pitch black out there and my kind of first point is the rain that's just part of cycling you know it's an outdoor sport a team time trial on a technical circuit might have to take place in the rain but the organizers didn't do themselves too many favors by holding it uh, so late in the day if it had been a beautiful late summer 
afternoon, evening in Barcelona, it would have been fine. But the possibility was always that bad weather might roll in. And, well, you know, the riders were asked to take some significant risks today. And the fact that, what was it, six of the teams uh, averaged over 50 kilometres an hour, I think that's pretty remarkable. Lionel, we slipped immediately into analyst pundit mode. Um, Shall we first hear from some of the protagonists um, most would argue the four's main protagonists in terms of the general classification um, ahead of this Vuelta, the sort of four top favourites on but for the, the red jersey uh, in Madrid. We've heard from a, a very upset Remco Evenepoel. Let's hear from a slightly, slightly more considered Remco Evenepoel. I'm still very upset, as you're going to hear. Um, we're going to hear from Jonas Vingegaard as well, who's suffered some misfortune. We're going to hear from a much more sanguine Primoz Roglic. Uh, you know what I mean, huh? And Geraint Thomas, finally. Yeah, we went super uh, easy in the corners because yeah, we're here for a GC. We don't want to crash. Of course, in the first day, we had a puncture with James, which is unfortunate, but... I mean, it's it's not the most important. What I just want to say is that it's... I mean, look, you guys have all to put lights on your cameras, which means it's dark. So can you imagine if you're sitting in the wheel, getting water in the face, not seeing one meter in front of you? It's just super dangerous. And for sure, tomorrow everybody will criticize me for saying this, but it's just dangerous. It's just dangerous. It's like riding your car 200 kilometers an hour on the highway in the full dark without any lights. If you see, if you have the whole day to do a TTT, uh, we have to wait the whole day when it was dry. I mean, I don't, uh, rain is rain. We cannot change the rain, but we can change the circumstances that we're racing in. And you just have to know we go on the limit because it's, it's a race. We want to we want to win. So you risk already a lot. And then with all the factors coming that it's super dark and super sketchy on these roads, it's just, in my eyes, it's just ridiculous. And like I said, for sure, I will get all uh, haters and criticizers again on me, but it's just, that's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, um, wasn't the best conditions, so uh, yeah, I think we can be happy with uh, how it went because we also had a puncture. Uh, yeah, I had a puncture, uh, and that's why we had to wait for me. So only losing 32 seconds to DSM is quite good uh, when you think about we had a yeah we had a puncture. So uh, I think we can be happy with how it went. Yeah, you cannot see if I'm crying uh, because the tears are yeah. in all of the rain. No, it's uh, I mean one done and uh, quite some to come. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we did, uh, we, we, we came through, so uh, I can be happy about it. Uh, when are you happy? I mean, what, what was the goal uh, when you saw the circumstances today then? Go through uh, without uh, any of unnecessary uh, no bigger problems, yes, than, uh, yeah, than really uh, uh, big losses. Uh, actually, I don't know completely how the times are, but uh, yeah. We went through and uh, this stage one of... 21 so 20 more it's the same for everyone but you know we uh oh we lost to plus on like the third or fourth corner and uh to be honest i was on the front i went in a bit too hot i think and he hit the deck and it was just like set us off on a bad foot and um people punctured you know and then yeah a few guys probably uh got a bit more nervous after the crash and it was just one of those rides that didn't really ever feel like we got going and the nature of the course as well you know like i keep saying the same for everyone but it does feel like if you've got gas, it's hard to really use it, you know, but yeah, it's the way it goes. We'll see how everyone else gets on, but uh, yeah, a lovely way to start. Was today ever going to be important for the GC or was it just more a case of you guys going for the stage win? Yeah, it's today and tomorrow is about just sort of not losing it, which we almost did. 
um, because yeah, like I said, it's going to be seconds today and tomorrow, and you know the race is a very long race, but uh, like I say, not the best way to start. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode of our Vuelta coverage is sponsored by Hammerhead, or more specifically, the Hammerhead Carew 2, the most advanced GPS cycling computer on the market today. I've got one, and I've been using it for well over a year now. In fact, it guided us all the way around Scotland on our Tour de Coste series last year, and I've been using the Hammerhead dashboard this week to plot a new route, because in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to take a day off the Vuelta coverage and ride over to Harlow for the finish of a Tour of Britain stage. And these roads are fairly familiar to me, so I want to take a different route and ride some roads that I don't know so well. So I've been plotting a different route out to Harlow and then yet another different route on the way back. And by just putting in the start and finish points and moving the yellow line on the dashboard, I know that we'll have a nice, uh, relatively quiet route out and back, and it will be a very pleasant ride. All we need now is for the weather to be in our favour, unlike how it was in Barcelona today. Although the touchscreen on the Hammerhead Carew 2 does cope pretty well with wet conditions. Uh, Rain does uh, play havoc with touchscreens, doesn't it? But uh, the Hammerhead Carew 2 seems to cope pretty well with it. Anyway... If you would like to get a Hammerhead Carew 2, you can get a free heart rate monitor with every purchase by going to hammerhead.io and using the promo code CYCLE at checkout. This is exclusive to Cycling Podcast listeners, and all you need is the promo code CYCLE. So go to hammerhead.io, put the Carew 2 and the heart rate monitor into your shopping cart, and then use the promo code CYCLE. Well, Lionel, uh, we heard there from, as I said, the four, we're going to call them the four amigos, the four, we, we can't call them musketeers. Um, I'm sure that, well, there's, there's actually a, a, a broader sort of sweep of potential stars of this world, by Spain, and just those four. I don't know, Juan Ayuso, some people would even place higher than, I don't know, Garrett Thomas in the hierarchy. But we heard from there, um, Lionel, I've retired to the press room, an eerily quiet press room. It's so late. Um, the stage is so late finishing that I think everyone's gone home. Um, I'm feeling extremely lonely here. It's as though the Vuelta España has been cancelled and no one's told me about it. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to ask, Daniel, um, what, what kind of animal in the zoo would you be? Not a performing monkey, but you would be a... And it's one who's escaped, probably, <laughs> and is roaming, roaming the savannas or the forest of, I don't know, somewhere north of the Arctic Circle. Uh. Um yeah, Lionel, um, it's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, I, I said that you slipped already into punditry uh, analysis mode. Um, there, there have been, we have had nighttime prologues and nighttime time trials before, haven't we? I mean, one that came to mind immediately was 2005 uh, Giro d'Italia, which was farcical for another reason. That was farcical because um, Mario Cipollini wore an almost see through pink bodysuit because it was his sort of ceremonial retirement. Um, kind of lap of honor he wasn't actually participating in the Giro d'Italia was he but they allowed him to ride the course anyway um that was in that was night time and we've had we've had we've had many of them over the years um well as the, you the said very fir- earlier, the very first prologue in the Tour de France was held in the evening to uh 
showcase um, a, a, a camping gas um, electric light, I believe. Um, I think I might have misremembered that, but certainly, yeah, you're right. Evening racing, not a, you know, evening time trials, but the fact that it was a team time trial and the fact that it rained, I think meant that it pushed the riders beyond the, 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 the line that uh, I think you can reasonably expect in a grand tour because, you know, there isn't, really much margin for backing off and um i think it's pretty miraculous that uh, everybody more or less got round i mean poor old Lawrence de plus down before they'd really got into their stride but you could see on the start ramp you know just how treacherous it was wheels were spinning riders were looking pretty uncertain easing away gingerly the fact that they even had people sweeping the water off the start ramp i mean they might as well have backed it up another 10 meters and started in the sea it was a it was a little bit of a if it had been a beautiful night we wouldn't be talking about any of this but you know race organizers in pushing the envelope do have to uh, take into account what happens if it's rainy what happens if it if it gets dark because one of the things about the, the welter that i noticed the first time i properly covered it was that it does get dark pretty quickly because it is at the tail end of of the summer and you know by well we're talking at 10 o'clock your time but by you know half past seven eight o'clock spanish time it was starting to get pretty gloomy and the last teams probably were riding entirely in the dark Lionel, tomorrow I will endeavour to get more answers or get a definitive answer about why exactly the the team time trial was so late. I don't know whether the predominant reason was television, whether it was maybe even temperature, because you know that's the flip side of the coin as well. I mean, it wasn't particularly hot today, but the last week has been very hot in um, in this part of Spain and Spain in general. So that could have been a factor. Um, I honestly don't know. I mean, sometimes you know the Tour de France the the move they've made, the final stage now finishes very late. It was even later a couple of years ago. I mean, I know that partly to do with this TV scheduling, but also it looks mm. nice. And the Champs-Élysées looks nice. I mean, ordinarily, today would have been, well, it would have been a very sort of telegenic course. It took in some of the main iconic sites of um, Barcelona, which is the Sagrada Familia, which is the sort of centerpiece of our graphics for the for the World Day Spain. Um, it's certainly on that line. I was doing a bit of reading about the Sagrada Familia. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's considered the 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 most important unfinished building um, in the world. It was supposed to be finished in, or it might still get finished in 2026. They started construction um, in 18, I think it was in 1892 or 1896. And so it's agonizingly close to completion. I was also reading about, did you, did you know about George Orwell fighting the Spanish Civil War? Yeah, a little and bit. And homage. Yeah, in yeah, homage to Catalonia. He hated it. He said he went to have a look at the cathedral, a modern cathedral, one of the most hideous buildings in the world. It has four crenellated spires exactly in the shape of hock bottles. I think the anarchists showed bad taste in not blowing it up. Wow. Uh, they did hang a red and black banner between its spires. Wow. And Orwell feeling... Similarly, about the Sagrada Familia, as Remco Avenapol feels about nocturnal time trials. The big question is, did Orwell ever go to Andorra? I shudder to think what he would have made of it. Um, <laughs> we, should, uh, we should just sort of... You know, we should talk about we cycling. We should talk about cycling, because what a great day for 
DSM, Fermanic. I mean, we were talking in our preview about what a young squad they've got. I mean, they have got some experience, obviously. Roman Bardet, very experienced uh, Grand Tour contender in his day, uh, t- probably targeting stage wins here. Uh, Alberto Dainese, one of the best sprinters in this field. But, you know, Max Poole, Oscar Onley, who you, who you mentioned, Daniel, and Lorenzo Milesi. I mean, fitting that they push their time trial as well probably didn't push him to the fore did they I mean he he's the time trial specialist and led them home and we'll have a day at least in the red jersey tomorrow but uh, you know they had a, a pretty wretched tour de France didn't they really and um, well they've come out fighting here was there a sense Lionel I'm just wondering on the television commentary I mean there was a sense when they came over line and we'll well we'll hear from one of their riders in just a moment but was there a sense that it was a really good time or certainly, as I say, from TV commentators? I think there was a sense it was a decent time. It's very difficult, isn't it? Because I think Caharual had gone out first and if I'm not mistaken, they were... Well, they did better than I thought, actually. They were 16th. Um, but it was really, as time went on and the conditions worsened, their time suddenly looked an awful lot better. I mean, it was difficult to tell from the TV just how much worse the conditions got. But I suppose Lidl Trek, who were the, th- uh, the t- very next team after DSM, uh, and they're pretty handy at team time trials, uh, certainly historically in the Vuelta, they uh, didn't get close at all. In fact, ended up 20th. Uh, so it you know, it did look from early on that it was a it was a very decent time, but I do wonder if the conditions have been less horrendous towards the end, and if it had still been light, probably Sudal Quickstep might have gone a bit closer. Um, and then we really don't know. I mean, Jumbo Visma, you know, they had their troubles, but also they're thinking about a three week race, aren't they? Not thinking about throwing everything up in the air in the opening eighteen minutes. Uh, so from fairly early on there was a moment where Jumbo Visma kind of split into two halves it wasn't terribly clear from the TV coverage what had happened to them uh, but for a lot of the team that was the moment when when Vingegaard punctured right there we I, go I suppose there we go so uh, yeah so I mean that will account for all of their time lost so probably looking at a 32 second loss there they'll probably be pretty happy with that but I would have thought everyone is pretty grateful to have got round relatively unscathed obviously Lawrence de Plus, as we mentioned the the big loss for Ineos Grenadiers but as a spectacle you know it wasn't particularly watchable it was one of those ones to watch kind of through the you know the cracks in your fingers because you know watch through it. some night vision goggles oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> watching riders gingerly go round even the gentle bends on uh. incredibly stiff carbon fiber time trial bikes with you know disc wheels deep section rims all the aero kit it did make me wonder whether actually the pragmatic response would have been to go on slightly less extreme bikes more of a kind of road bike hybrid and uh, whether or not that they would have conceded as much time or certainly given themselves an easier safer ride round i don't know Lionel, let's stick a pin in that and just go back for a second to dsm you talked about um oscar only the young scott riding for them max paul um also a very promising british rider riding for them and um, there's a third young british rider riding for dsm um by he goes by the name of sean flynn and um, now 
unfortunately for Sean Flynn, and I am going to unfortunately drop in another football reference here. Um, my first football in love was Coventry City, not Arsenal. And we used to have a nuggety, a nuggety sort of slightly kind of headless chicken sort of midfielder called Sean Flynn, um, who always showed a lot of industry, but not a whole lot of, of skill with the football. Um, however, this Sean Flynn um, is, no, is of no relation to that Sean Flynn. This Sean Flynn is a former mountain biker, hails from Edinburgh. And well, judging by social media, I think it was his social media might have been the teams earlier in the week. He was very, very excited to start his first major tour this week. And well, I spoke to him at a time in the afternoon or the evening when it certainly wasn't clear just how well he and DSM had gone. Let's hear from Sean Flynn off the finish, shall we? Yeah, I mean, uh, the rain did come as a bit of a surprise. We knew it was a possibility, but yeah, I think it's the first time it's rained here in at least a month. I live just up the road in Girona, so yeah, I was uh, the whole time when I was getting ready for the, the Vuelta, I never imagined that the first stage would be in pouring rain. Um, so yeah, but uh, it only came at the last minute, so we really needed to be mentally strong to uh, to cope with that because uh yeah obviously we didn't ride it in the wet before um it came as a surprise uh, but i think we de- dealt with it really well like with the experienced guys in the team like uh roman bardet he could uh, really yeah give us advice on on how to to adjust the way we rode because of that and i think we i think we executed that pretty well um we didn't we didn't have any crashes um which I think is a is a win already, um, and yeah, we're, there was there was one or two moments where we we lost a bit of time, but uh, yeah, I think all, overall it was quite a good good solid performance. We'll have to wait and see how it stacks up against everyone else, though. I, I saw I think it was a social media post you talked about how excited you were. I mean, how how big a thing is this for you to be here doing the, your first world tour? Uh, yeah, it's massive. I mean, uh, from really young, um, I remember you know walking home from school quickly to be able to watch the finish of the, the stages. Um, what year are we talking? Uh, well, this would be around about the time of uh, when Froome was uh, just kind of coming to the, the forefront. Um, that was around that time when I guess I was getting super, super into it. And obviously, back then, I always dreamed of being here, but um, to actually be here and experience it, I think obviously it becomes kind of normalised because you take everything step by step moving up. But when I look back at it from that perspective, I think that's when I'm like, oh yeah, like it's really cool. And also seeing, you know, the reaction of other people who are a bit more removed. And for them, it's really cool to see someone they know, you know, in, in a race like this. So yeah, it's really cool. I'm just gonna try and soak it all up. Um, and yeah, it's been a nice start today. Well, Lionel, it's, uh, well, it's a cracking start to the world, as you said, for DSM. Sean Flynn will no doubt be hearing from him again later on in the race. Oscar Only as well. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting as well. I spoke to a few people at the finish who, who know well Barcelona and also um, have looked closely at the weather forecast for the next few days. And they predict a pretty sketchy um, last few kilometres tomorrow on the, the Montjuic um, circuit. And actually... Well, I only realised when someone pointed out to me after the finish that where the buses were parked today was, it was, sorry, where the team vehicles were parked after the finish was the finish line for the traditional final stage of the Volta Catalunya, that sort of um, slightly unusual, anomalous downhill sprint on a very wide road, which a lot of people, a lot of listeners will have watched in the past. That was exactly where the finish um, was today. 
Um, Lionel, you talked about Jumbo Visma. I mean, it, it's quite a heavy loss, isn't it? Um, you know, notwithstanding that puncture that Jonas Vingegaard had, um, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I, it's very difficult to uh, look at today's time trial and, and sort of ascertain who's going well, who's not going well. I mean, I was speaking to some Danish colleagues um, at the finish today and they sort of confirmed and also the team have confirmed Jonas Vingegaard has not spent any time at altitude before the Vuelta España, um, he's been in Lugano, I think. I, I, I have the suspicion that he might be house hunting. Um, that might have been one reason that he was in Lugano. But um, hasn't spent much time at altitude. I was also curious that L'Equipe have only given him three stars in their usual sort of pre-race star rate, ratings. Um, Remco Evenepoel had four stars and Primoz Roglic had four stars. Um, Lionel, say he was a five-star member of the Cyphering Podcast team extended family um it's the motown maestro who's got his very own a new very own feature at this world by España, inspired by speedy gonzalez i did check that speedy gonzalez you're still allowed to refer to speedy gonzalez and and um use speedy gonzalez styles sound effects it's still considered politically okay um anyway here's larry's new feature arriba larry warbas andale andale Everyone managed to stay up, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was insane. Like, uh, well, we had to change to, like, the road tubular tires in the front, like, uh, so a really not aero wheel because we just didn't want to take any risk. And my rear tire, I mean, it probably slid out 10 times. So, like, it was super slippery out there. So, yeah, we, I mean, we tried just not to take any risk, but go fast in the straights if we could, but... I think you jinxed it with all that training in the hazmat suit. Yeah, like, exactly. It didn't, really, it didn't really help you today, did it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was funny because I, I ran into Joe at the start and uh, he was wearing a rain jacket and I was just laughing. Uh, and he's like, yeah, all this heat yeah. training probably uh, didn't do us so much good today. But Larry, you, your team hasn't got big GC ambitions here, but if you had, um, how would you have... A- you've approached that today because there's not a lot to gain but an awful lot to lose isn't there yeah i mean i don't think we would have approached it too much differently you know it was like yeah you might lose i don't know a minute or something here but like uh you could lose uh the whole you know you're not going to win it probably but you could lose the whole thing here so uh you know i think it's important just to like stay calm stay cool and uh not crash <laughs> stay upright most importantly any other observations from your first 24 hours on the welter anything else you'd like to impart or share uh, well, other than we got totally screwed over with this weather, uh, no, not too much. I mean, uh, it's nice to be here. I'm happy to be here. Happy that we stayed upright. And uh, I mean, it sounds like we're going to have rain tomorrow, but after that, hopefully we'll have a nice couple weeks. I'll release you back into the wild. But Larry, um, how about this? Uh, for, I don't know, we'll come with a competition. Signed hazmat suit for the winner of, I don't know, we'll come with a quiz question or something. Okay, yeah, sounds good. Deal. <laughs> So that was Larry, Larry in his hazmat suit, and um, we'll come up with an idea for competition in the next few days. And, and I don't even see, I'm sure he's probably thrown out that hazmat suit, but we'll pretend that it still exists. And um, yeah, we'll send it to a listener signed hazmat suit. Um, <laughs> before this gets any more ridiculous, um, you mentioned equipment. Um, I think you alluded to the fact that maybe road bikes could have been a better choice today. And one team, who might have suffered because of their equipment, we'll say it. Um, Jaco Alula, I think they were the only team on rim brakes. 
and they've been on rim breaks on their time trial by I think the whole season and well and you mentioned earlier that hey, they'd had a pretty spectacular wipeout almost the whole team was wiped out I spoke at the finish to the former Italian time trial champion friend of the podcast Matteo Sobrero and he shared a little bit more light on well what might have caused them problems today we crashed all together in the end we panic a bit with Eddie and he took the last corner too too fast for for nothing and the crash also so like yeah and you guys i don't know if you're the only team but you're yeah, on rim, rim breaks yeah exactly yeah maybe maybe for that i don't know i don't think it's for that because uh in the end you, you have to break just a bit before and uh, not the best condition for us but yeah and that's a choice whose choice is that to be on rim breaks i don't know you you should ask to the giant uh, the new tt bike is coming with disc brake but uh, it's not ready yet Slino, rim brakes, not a good idea today. Well, I mean, the, the, the clip that's kind of probably going viral on social media now of them all coming down, uh, one on top of another, like dominoes in, in the rain, uh, was on a straight bit of road. But then they might have been braking for a corner. You don't know. I mean, you know, this is one of the things that in the whole debate about um, switching to disc brakes, the argument was always made that they are much better much more efficient, much kind of more reliable, uh, predictable in the wet conditions. I mean, anyone who's ridden deep section rims with rim brakes in the rain will know that they don't grip very well, basically. They, that's that's the big the big problem. Um, but yeah, that's a, a bit of a loss for uh, Eddie Dunbar in particular, who will be hoping for a decent overall ride here. 51 seconds uh, lost to DSM. I mean, probably we shouldn't really take DSM as a, as a reference point, but Movistar, you know, equal on time with them. That's a, a reference point. Oh, um, Movistar. I mean, Movistar yeah, I was a know. great ride by them. Enric Mass, I can tell you, Enric Mass, when he came over the finish line, I don't know if you saw this on television, but um, I think he was, there was a, a mix of kind of elation and concern. He was worried, and this kind of underlines how difficult it was for the riders to know what was going on. He, he was convinced that, um, that Movistar had lost a rider and lost one of their five riders who were going to count and so initially he sort of snapped thinking that that had jeopardized their ride but that wasn't the case and unlike um, Alpacin de Kooning they came they were well in that sixes and sevens weren't they they were in absolute disarray they'd had a couple of crashes yeah well Movistar actually the, the if the time had been taken on the first couple of riders over the line they would have won the stage but because it went on the fifth rider they didn't win the stage it was that close Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2023 Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science. El ritmo de la vuelta. The rhythm of the vuelta. Lionel, this is El Ritmo de la Vuelta, this feature making a comeback due to mildly popular demand after last year, uh, is our daily bachata into the nether regions of the official Vuelta España songs through the ages.
the year today, Lionel, is 1981 when the official song of the world, according to some sources, I'll come back to this later, was the Dance of the Hours, quite appropriate, uh, the Danza delle Ore, is in Italian, per the, um, the native tongue of the Italian composer Amilcare Ponchiella. The song is in fact a ballet taken from Act 3 of Ponchiella's 1876 opera La Gioconda, which has a lot of you probably know, is also what the Italians call painting known to Anglophones as the Mona Lisa. Um, this too turned out to be rather out because for only the third time in the race's history, the Vuelta that year was won by an Italian, Giovanni Battaglini. Battaglini was also one of only two riders to wear the leader's jersey in that edition, the other being the French neo-pro uh, Régis Flair. We tried the opening day prologue in Santander and top GC for a week until Battaglini took over after the mountain time trial to the Sierra Nevada. Battaglini eventually won by just over two minutes from Pedro Munoz. The race finished on May the 10th, and on May the 13th, Battaglini was starting his home Grand Tour at the Giro d'Italia. Not only that, but he went on to win the Giro by the slender margin of 38 seconds. Giro, incidentally, that was 24 stages and 3,895 kilometers long. I alluded to some uncertainty about whether uh, Danza, La Danza delle Ore was indeed the H1 Welter's official song. Sources I found seem split on this, the other suggesting it was either A, Don't Stop the Music by Yarbrough and Peoples, or B, The Stars on 45 medley by The Stars on 45. This shouldn't be difficult to find out, but it's, it's amazing when you trawl through um, the official songs of previous Welters, and there is a lot of, there's a lot of divergence of opinion. I went with um, the, the, Italian, the Italian option, it's a good because of my pro-Italian agenda. Um, but Lionel, lots more to look forward to in the Ritmo de la Vuelta over the next three weeks. Amazing. We start with Shakira. We finish with uh, the Vuelta's official song. Uh, I, I think, you know, the official song is a great marketing tool. I wonder whether the Vuelta officials will be kicking themselves tonight because they could have had some kind of official squeegee mop supplier of the Vuelta a España to, you know, mop that start ramp. Uh, I don't know, some kind of... Well, they, they could have had some kind of... I don't know, head-mounted uh, lamp for spectators, riders. There were so many sponsorship opportunities there. Uh, this is reminding me, talking of uh, damp squibs, um, the team presentation didn't go down very well um, on Thursday. It was down by the beach. I don't know how many listeners watched it. I think it was televised. But, um, it was obviously, it was mainly in Catalan, which doesn't go down well with some people. Obviously, that's a bit of a well, it's very much a political um, hot potato. And Perico Delgado, the former what, World Tour Tour de France winner, um, he was one of the masters of ceremonies. Um, so his pronunciation left a little bit to be desired, I'm led to believe, of some of the English riders in particular. And um, rather embarrassingly, it was on the beach, and the beach itself was a lot busier. It looked a lot more fun. Um, based on what a couple of the riders told me today and uh, with beach volleyball and all sorts of other things going on on the beach than the team presentation. Wow, wow. Are we going to have some kind of segment patatas calientes of the day? Lionel, <laughs> 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 right, talking of talking of patatas calientes, it's time for our next feature. La etapa de mañana, la cena de ayer. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's food. Lionel, so I go first. Uh, yesterday's 
evening meal was um well obviously i'm pursuing this vegetarian fool's errand or trying to there was lots of goat on the menu last night and i was almost tempted to default on day one but there were when there are vegetarian options have to go for them so there was a sort of cannelloni vegetarian kind of cannelloni which doesn't sound very spanish and uh, very catalan but you find it a lot um in spain maybe particularly in catalonia um i will investigate that whether it's a, a typical local dish or not but it was it was it was good as i say we're in a lovely spot in cabrillas in the hollywood hills of barcelona i'm very happy with our choice and um, lionel what about tomorrow's stage we're going back to where we were today to mojuic it's a bit of a hallowed location in spanish sport and well spanish cycling as well well it is indeed i mean it's the site of the stadium that hosted the 1992 olympic games it's the current home of uh, Barcelona Football Club while their stadium is being renovated and uh, the stage will well it will trace some of the roads that are very familiar to people who watch the Volta a Catalunya in March well stage two it's a long one by Vuelta standards really isn't it 182 kilometers is actually starting uh, directly up the coast from you there in Barcelona Daniel but then basically a big sort of flat u-bend into the countryside inland and then weaving its way back into the city over the climate montjuic and the weather forecast is apparently bad tomorrow so it could well be that it it doesn't go the way of the sprinters just because of the weather making it difficult uh, a lot of climbing in the middle part of the race as a second category climb roughly a third of the way into the race and as we know from the welter there's very little in the way of kind of flat uh, nondescript roads isn't there it will be up and down a lot of the day but it will all be about that final climb which comes around about four, four or five kilometers from the finish and whether that's a springboard for somebody to to take a flyer there or whether it will all stay together whether any of the gc riders will get caught out i'm deep into speculation territory here yeah Lionel, the last kilometers should be interesting because well it, it's uphill it's not a difficult climb there is there's a, a point where the gradient reaches all almost 10 percent um but it's five percent four percent and then towards the top it's well yeah it's four and five percent so i don't know whether that's going to change things maybe the descent off the climb you mentioned will have more of an effect than the actual rise to the finish line um itself i mean um i i was casting my mind back the other day to the to the time i think it was 2009 it was about 2009 when the tour de france came to barcelona and finished uh, and Tor Flussoft was the winner of that stage I think it's it's still going to be a sprinter um, maybe a sprinter favours an uphill finish um, probably not hard enough for a roglification at this point um, just on Montjuic as well I was reading earlier or remembering um, another race that used to take place up there every year the Escalada Ciclista Montjuic um, which was a, an intriguing event. It was sort of the the season closer in Spain. It was two stages. One was a road stage. One was a time trial. I don't know how long the time trial was. I guess it was circuits and more. It wasn't just once up there. But it was won by, I mean, the, the role of honour is, well, it couldn't be starrier. Um, Eddie Merckx won it six times. Uh, Bahamonte, Federico Bahamontes won it. Pulidor, Tevne, Jalabert, Zutmelk. Uh, last winner or last edition was in 2007 i think it was danny moreno won 
and it was sort of struck off the UCI calendar because it didn't meet their regulation. No, the, the final piece of trivia about Montjuic, um, very incomplete piece of trivia because I definitely need to read more about this. The, the whole modern decimal metric system um, came about mm, due to two gentlemen, I think, called Jean-Baptiste uh, Jean Joseph de Lombre et Pierre Méchant, two Frenchmen, um, drawing a line, basically a line, between Dunkirk, of all places, and Montjuic. And somehow, based on this line, they ascertained the whole metric system by which we measure most things. Um, and this leads me to tip uh, Romain uh, Grégoire for tomorrow's stage, the young Groupama, um, sort of punchy, kind of puncher, with a, a very fast sprint because he won four days of Dunkirk I was going to sort of I was, he was going to be in the mix anyway but um, this is this very very tangential sort of association I mean it, to tip it, yeah it's, it's not the sort of analysis that the kind of the, the tipsters who are hoping to beat the bookies would go with but but um, well I mean we it, was, it was either it was either that or find some association with Harry Spiles who played in the stadium in Montjuic on he's the He's the latest major pop star to play there. He played there during the Tour de France, I believe, until wow. like the 12th. Wow. I think on that on that note, maybe next year's official official Vuelta song ought to be a duet between, with with Shakira and Harry Styles. I mean, let's let's suggest it. Suggest it to Javier Guillen. That would be the next the next task for you. Um, Lionel, talking about duets or um talking of people who certainly with a microphone in their hand um can let their emotions spill over shall we say should we end we'll say goodbye um i'll head off into the barcelona night we'll say goodbye we'll re-adjourn tomorrow and um we'll play out with our final feature of tonight's episode and it is going to be a regular feature in this Vuelta a España you're about to hear from another old friend of Sighting podcast who's back this year at the Vuelta a España Lionel Good evening. See you tomorrow. Fram Reyes Ando. Wistful gazing with Fram Reyes. Hello, dear listeners. This is Fran Reyes here. I've been walking under the rain and the stage start back and forth, talking to people, butterflying around like I like to do. And... I am now as wet as Daniel probably is over at the finish line. Yet, instead of being there in the battlefield, I'm here in the press room. Anyway, be sure that I'll be joining him and gazing wistfully uh, to your and his amusement over the next few weeks in the cycling podcast. You may wonder why I'm not on the finish line today. The reason is that I've been covering the Rubiales case, which is a sexual harassment or outright sexual abuse case that has been committed by the, Span the president of the Spanish Football Federation in the frame of the female football World Cup. It has been a situation that has put Spanish society in front of the mirror. It's been a grim case and it's no wonder that the weather is so grim and unpleasant today in Barcelona. Hopefully, after all this thunder, will come a bright, beautiful rainbow. <sighs> Is this wistful enough to make it to the podcast? Well, you know, I leave it up to Daniel and the producer to decide. In any case, 
Talk to you soon. And of course, enjoy to the fullest this Vuelta España. Agarrante mi vida, que nos vamos de...